myself a L- I know. I got to get myself an LED up in this drink. Is that what this I, is? Huh? The light behind you, the camera. The uh, Yeah, that. I like the way that it bounced off them pink walls. Yeah. Chill. When you get the when you in your, I know when you're in your new spot, it's going to be. You're going to have to. I'm going to be in my new spot. Uh, so I have one last you think you know here. On the next you think you know will be in my new place. Hmm. You're going to have to buy LED lights, string, string of LED lights, and make your room pink. So you don't have a spot for the podcast? Are you gonna have a, a room yeah. there? Uh, there's a there's another room, so I made that my yeah. game room. I'll turn it he into a game. He cut the podcast we in the crib. Children. Uh, what is the word? Kind of going off of the title. Once we go ahead and get started, I have a question for Brian. I haven't seen it. What? Well, you look. First of all, you're crooked. Better. I'm confused as to what's going on. I am too. Are, are you done, sir? Right. Shilling is screaming very loudly at the dogs. Gus has, hear it, some, Gus has done something that she is not happy about. <laughs> whatever it is, a, a number of things. Whatever it is, it's, whatever it is, it's not good, and I'm going to hear about it after this, and I'm scared. It's okay. You're, so this is now a 24. It's hour February, podcast. so uh, it's all right. This is a 24 hour podcast. We'll be here. Hell no. Uh, <laughs> we'll be here. We'll be here all night. So uh, welcome in. What do you say, Dad? So the scary thing is I could talk that long. That's right. That's just buckle That's in. That's the Johnson in you, I guess. Bu- buckle in. It's gonna be a long <laughs> ride. <laughs> All right, let's get this party started. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Afro Latinos Podcast. This is your co-host Alvin. And your co-host, I'm Super Cold Chandler, and that's not a cool nickname. I am just genuinely cold. <laughs> you're not a, you don't have a hoodie on today, so I'm I have the long turning, sleeve. Though. Oh, the long sleeve. All right. Well, tonight on our monthly episode of the Afro Latinos podcast, we have decided to uh, welcome in a very, very special guest um, tonight. We are going to be talking about. Um, representation of people of color in film. We're going to be talking about diversity in film. Um, We're basically talking about movies, and I could not think of a better person to talk about movies than an acclaimed author on several books about movies, including the topics of diversity in film, uh, Reverend Dr. Brian Johnson. Sir, how are you this evening? I'm doing well, thank you. All right. C. Johnson. There is no, if there's no C, it's not me. Hey, oh, oh, with the and and he's a rapper. There ain't no C. I'm not, I'm not surprised at this point that the guy, Mister Mister Sir Doctor Reverend Brian, got all the kind of all, all sorts of uh, what are they called? Like well, surnames, nicknames, kind of beginning. What was that? Credentials. Exactly. He got the credits and the credentials. All right, Reverend Dr. Brian C. Johnson, can you do us a quick favor? Introduce yourself to the audience. Let us know who you are, what you're about. Let them know why you're an expert in the field. Hey, y'all. I'm the Reverend Dr. Brian C. Johnson, a.k.a. the Aubin's dad. So, Our father. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For the better part of the last 20 years, I have been a, a, a teacher of film studies. I've taught at Susquehanna University and Bloomsburg University. And I've written several books on film, as Aubrey mentioned. Uh, my first book is called Real Real Diversity. It looks at film, teaching film with movies. And then I've written a book called The Problematic Tower Period. And I've written books on Glee and various other topics. Um, I just a, a real film fanatic. Yeah, that's me. All right. Well, we appreciate I'm, you spending your evening with us. Go ahead, Cheney. I I have a question. Uh, so, how do you kind of come up? Not really come up, but like decide to do a book on kind of. 
I know the problematic Tyler Perry. I'm going to assume and completely guess that it has to do with just Tyler Perry's uh, problematic ways and what he does in his movies. Just assume. But, like, how do you come, like, do you just, you, you kind of watch all this stuff and you just kind of decide that you're just going to kind of do, like, a review about it or? Well, a lot of it is. Well, let me, put, let me put a pause on that real quick. That's a fantastic question. Let's save that question and answer uh, for right after the intro. Give us one second. Come back. Hold that thought. I'll give you a couple seconds to think about your answer. Here we go. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Like, I got this. I don't seem as upset <laughs> in those clips anymore. <laughs> Just like one or two. Oh, you're, I, I did better on that one. All right. Now let's continue that conversation. So Chaney asked before uh, the intro, uh, how do you kind of start writing about film? Like where does that idea come from? What gives you the kind of the inspiration to write a book about film? So uh, Pops, go ahead and uh, take it away. So for a lot, thank you, Chaney. Uh, it is a good question. I think, for me at least, because uh, since all of my knowledge base is in diversity, I teach diversity issues in college. So I think where, where I where I where I think I where I found the impetus to write to write was basically looking for resources for myself, and I realized that there wasn't a lot out there, so I decided to write it for myself. Yeah, so that's the same way. Like I started speaking, um, I was going to a lot of professional conferences, and there was very little for me. And so then I started offering various workshops that I that I think that I think people need to hear. So that 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 brought about my my speaking career. Mm. There we go. All right, so take us back a little bit. Um, Let's let's go back to the beginning. Where do you find your first love of film? Before we start to really talk about the issues of diversity and things that we see in pop culture and movies, take us back. Let us know a little bit about you and your love of movies. Where does it come from? Um, I watched a whole lot of movies when I was a kid. So so I think my love of movies comes from being being the fat kid in my family <laughs> and just watching movies all the time. Okay. Any um, any particular movies that stand out as as kind of um, instrumental in your in shaping your film love? Yeah. Anything that stands out for you? The first movie that, that really comes to mind for me is The Breakfast Club. Okay. Mm. It was the first movie where I saw myself represented in the, in the movie. You ever watch been watching a movie and you just said, man, that was me. That was my experience. No, I can't say that. <laughs> I also don't watch movies. So, but uh... <laughs> It's a tragic thing. Hey, I watched Free Guy yesterday, though. But go ahead, Dan. I watched it today. It was good. I liked it. It's a great movie. I saw it in the movie theater. It was fantastic. Fantastic in the form of I enjoyed watching it. I like Ryan Reynolds. Um, I have a question. Uh, so <clears throat> I know you from the collection that I've seen, you have a gajillion movies. <laughs> Do you and you know you're you're not to I'm gonna I'm gonna cut that out because I was gonna ask. I know you know you've you've had a, a couple of extra years of experience on this. Um do you remember Either the first movie that you started with, like, okay, I'm just going to get all these movies and keep them, or at least the movies that that made you decide, okay, I'm going to start buying these movies and collecting them, basically. 
So the first movie is in my collection. Is that the question? Yeah. Um, <coughs> excuse me. No, I don't know the first movie in my collection. That's but I do know that as an educator, as somebody who uses film, copyright law requires me to own the films that I use. So a lot, I started collecting films because I had to. Hmm. And so take us back to uh, what, what is your, the first book you've ever written? Was it the real diversity? The mm-hmm. first edition, that was the first real, book real you ever first book. co-authored. Um, and so what, you know, you grow up with this love of movies. You have some movies that stood out to you that you remember seeing yourself in and that kind of, this kind of um, formed your love of film. So how do you transition from an avid film watcher to then, you know, using film to teach and using it then in your speaking? Because, of course, I know your life because you're my dad. But, you know, how do you go from just an average movie watcher, like maybe Cheney or just a, an average Joe you're not oh, an average movie watcher. A- avid, avid, A V I D. Oh. Avid. Speaking of avid, I'm about to do the word while you're talking because I forgot about it today <laughs> and I don't want to miss it. Um, but how does one go from, and this is for your for your personal life, Dad? Um, how do you go from um movie watcher to I'm now going to write my first book? Tell and, and what led you to wanting to be an author. Um, all of that. How did that all happen for you? So, Real Diversity was born out of sheer hubris. Hmm. I w- was working at, at a Susquehanna University, and at the time, I was the director of multicultural affairs. And there, being a member of student affairs, um, the president of the university used, to, used every year at the convocation would would say he would thank all the students for being there because they the students are the lifeblood of the university is what he said, and then he would then he would recognize the faculty, and then that was it. He would not say anything about student affairs. So I'm like, wait a minute, there, there, you know, we I have a degree, I'm smart, I offer something to this university too. Mm-hmm. So, so in some ways, I wanted to prove. I wanted to prove to my colleagues that I, I myself was a scholar. Mm. And so I, so I decided I'm going to write a book. Because in higher ed, that's the way, that's the way you prove yourself. Hmm. Just for ships and giggles. Um, <laughs> I'm, you know, no cursing today. You're doing, you're doing good. You're doing, you're, uh, you already did in the beginning of the episode, but that's okay. Keep going. Shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, how... <laughs> I know how long was that kind of like that process of doing that, especially that first book. And I'm also kind of asking for any book that you've written. How long would would that process kind of take? And like, what are the the steps that you took for that? It's different for each person and it's different each time. So with Real Diversity, the first time, it's probably about a year. Mm -hmm. Um. But that's big now that's why what it took me that long to think because I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And then I, I had to learn like what's right when. And I was working full time. I was I was a student part of that time. Um just learning the ropes. Hmm. I have currently two years now that I I started a book um it's still a work in what is it progress mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um i have not touched it in months but it, it's a combination of i think i spoke to you about this before slightly slightly but it, it's like you know it's the first time i'm ever doing anything like it so i i'm a little confused as to how to go about it and have that 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 perfectionist in my head that it's just like it's not good enough. I don't like the story. I have to change it. Um, I don't like where this is going right now. I have to go back and then do it again, kind of stuff. So, 
Yeah, so fiction is a whole lot different in academic books like I was writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're writing fiction, I assume? Yeah. Um, fiction is a lot, I think it's, it's, it's not faster, but it's easier. But the problem is that we have this internal editor that, that likes to talk a lot. And so mm-hmm. we end up, end up doubting ourselves the whole time. And so the easiest thing I would tell you is, is just to write it because there's, there's no such thing as a, as a finished book. Mm. Mm. I have eight books in my name right now and I would rewrite every one of them today if I could. Mm. That's a fair statement. So tell us about the writing process for you. Um, when you, especially writing that first book in your, your first book, um, if I remember correctly, is a co-author. Um, so what was the, what was that process like? And tell us about, you know, the, the process of once you've written your first manuscript and then, you know, how do you go about finding this? And we'll get to the topic that we were planning to talk about, but this is interesting for those who are um, planning to write or want to write and kind of want to know how does one do this as someone who just kind of did it. Um, and then you've even written, you know, your historical nonfiction and, and your other books that you've written. So how does one go about, you know, you've, you've written your first manuscript, you have to find an editor, you have to find a publisher. Like how does that whole process work? What does it look like? And for a first time author, what kind of feelings were you feeling about the whole process? Was there ever a point where you wanted to give up where you just thought it's not worth it anymore? So talk, talk to us about that. So let me just put it this way. On my website, I have this quote. Let me look it up real quick. It says, writing is hard work. It is also the best job I've ever had. So um, I think that because I I, um, study what I write, so because I understand about diversity and there's not a lot out there. Um, particularly that was thought that I was being thoughtful about in terms of my work with teachers. Um, so I went to a conference and as I want to do is walk around the exhibit hall, checking stuff out. And I, I went to a table and started talking to the clerk who <coughs> The clerk who was working there, and I said, "Hey, hey, I write about film and diversity. What are you looking for?" And so the person that was there, um, long story short, was one of the most um, respected um, media scholars in the country. Hmm. In fact, I had actually quoted her her in my book, hmm. and so I thought that was a god moment. Mm-hmm. And so she happens to be the editor of. A, a book series and so I pitched her my idea and she told me what she's looking for and she <coughs> sorry she re- literally explained my book to a team mm. so, so I just so happened to be carrying some pages what I had and I pulled it out, out of my briefcase and said is this what you're looking for and I showed it to her and she said this is exactly what I'm looking for mm. That's why, Cheney, I tell you that every nobody, everybody wants everybody wants to write write a book. Um, nobody wants to finish a book, mm-hmm. so you got to finish it. Otherwise, it's no good. Hmm. So, um, that lady, as a media scholar, uh, and she's on the board of several different publishers. <laughs> she has really become a champion for me. Matter of fact, she and I are doing a book together now on horror films. We just signed the contract yesterday. Mm. So um, I think that, and I and I began to look at part of this process is understanding what the what the the media what the the field needs in terms of what they're looking for. Mm. Uh, so I wanted to know. What do teachers need today, mm-hmm. and what's being offered by the by the marketplace? Mm. And so, once you understand those things, you can write towards that. So, so a lot of the understanding of the book market is understanding what people want. 
mm-hmm. and what they need. Hmm. All right. Um, all right. So let's, uh, do you have anything else about authoring, writing that process? I'm sure it'll come up. I, I, uh, I happen to be, uh, his son's best friend. So <laughs> you, you, we know where to find him. All right, cool. All right. Let's, uh, take a quick break to hear about our sponsor for today's episode. Anchor and no. <laughs> I'm here there. So we are going to take a quick break to hear from uh, about our sponsor, Anchor, for today's episode. We will be right back in just a second. Uh, so we'll be back. Are we back? <laughs> we're back, Jimmy. <laughs> and we're back. All right. So on the... Oh, you had it. Oh, you got to be quicker than that. It don't work on. Why do you go through OBS? It doesn't work. Your I don't input go. Just this isn't the, OBS. It comes up with the OBS virtual camera thing. Yeah, if I switch to the other camera. Oh, it did that automatically then? Okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, on the first half of the episode, we were talking about um, authorship writing. So now let's let's dive into the focus conversation of today's episode. Uh, so. Dad, as you said, you've written several books on diversity in film, um, and, and so let's let's talk about what you see in terms of um, representation. And we can talk just of blackness, as it is Black History Month. Um, you can talk about other um, uh, peoples if you'd like, um, but talk to us about your your views on diversity in the film and movie industry. What do you what do you see as a um, um, what's the word I'm looking for, as a scholar in the field? Well, a lot of what, um, and this this goes back to your earlier question, like what do I, what was I looking for? But a lot of times what, um, what I see is I'm looking for patterns. Mm-hmm. So when you're, when you're, when you're watching something from a, from a scholarly standpoint, um, you're looking for patterns and how often you see certain things. And Regarding representation, that's something that everybody needs to pay attention to. And so when we talk, let's let's talk about blackness for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, um, in 2018, Black Panther came out. Mm-hmm. And when I tell you, I had Wakanda fever, right? <laughs> So part of what made that that film stand out was the fact that um, it ha- it was a first of its kind. What do you mean by that? Like um, it did not follow the typical patterns that we t- that we often see, where people black people are drug addicts, violent, mm-hmm. confrontational. Mm-hmm. Stupid, poor, and coonish. So, but it was, <laughs> it was, it was uh, a film that was beautifully shot, <coughs> and it had um, a real um, self awareness to it and uh, power because mm-hmm. it was it was. As I as I would say, um, a very uplifting film. That it was it was the first movie that where I think black people could see themselves, um, and they alluded to this in the film that it was without um, white folks' interference. Mm-hmm. So it was a, it was the first being able to say, "Oh yeah, you know, if, if white people hadn't come to Africa, maybe this could have been what we were like." Mm-hmm. So that film became <coughs> that semester I was teaching a course at a, a film course at Bloomsburg University and it had 135 students in the class. And I said when that when that movie preview started coming out, I'm taking my my students to that. And so I took my class to to the movies that day. And when I tell you 135 students watched that, watched that movie. And there were maybe 10 black students in that class. 
uh, including myself, all of us were wearing African clothes. Um, and that was really a, a powerful moment. Hmm. And as I think about it now, it's probably the highlight of my teaching career. Because for me, when you think about what we're studying and what is the impact, because a lot of people people say to me, why can't you just watch a movie? And for me, it's more than just entertainment. It's, it's, mm-hmm. about, it's about what are we learning? And in that, in that movie, <clears throat> it gave us a chance to look at ourselves and look at what we came from, mm-hmm. what, what could be. And... the idea that this fictional land wakanda could be so much more could be you know, it, it let me think that there was more that we that we could be offering mm-hmm. it's a really powerful movie so what are um as we talk about blackness um, and we talk about that representation. What do you see? And you've kind of alluded to this already, but kind of talk a little bit more specifically if you're able to. Um, what are some common tropes? And, and Chaney and I did an episode a long time ago now um, about common tropes in film. Um, but what are what are some tropes that you often would ascribe to um blackness in in film what do you think that those tropes are some of the more popular ones that is well let me let me utilize this the um the the scholarly work of um his name walter boyer um and he wrote a book um that was that was the that was called meme that was called mammies coons tom (laughs) (laughs) you get so surprised bucks and a lot of it is, um, it was is on the the main black black tropes in film. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Bucks are the violent, violent, angry black man. Mm-hmm. They didn't look at the mammy, the mammy type, mammy type, mm-hmm. and the coon who was the funny guy, the comic relief, and then the. I'm blanking on that. Um, but whatever it is. So, but the idea is black people have not gotten a fair shake in the film industry. Um, and we have never been um, portrayed as something positive. Shaking my head. Hmm. And so the idea is because we have learned a lot from their from movies about who we are and who others are. And so it becomes what are the constant things we're learning about black people? You know, they're mm-hmm. poor. They're uh, I remember a book I read in college, The Devil, the Gargoyle, and the Buffoon Buffoon. So, you know, he was the devil because of the way he looked. And he was supposedly born of Satan. The gargoyle, again, related to his looks. And the mm-hmm. food was about his, his level of intelligence. Mm-hmm. So if you think about um, the fact that black people have never been afforded the humanity that they deserve, that this idea of that um, we don't get to see Black people in all their glory. Mm-hmm. And that for me was pretty sad. I think that sometimes people, because of the regular the regularity that we see different images, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't learn to question what's going on. So it becomes more of this is what we see. It must this be the way it is. It must be who we have to be. Yeah, and it, it actually reminds me, and this is the saddest conversation I ever heard. Um, it reminds me of a conversation uh, that I had with a student a couple weeks ago. Actually, this is a black student, um, and I was just, you know, he's being a knucklehead, 
in school, just skipping class and goofing off and doing all types of stuff you're not supposed to do. And I have this internal monologue as a teacher, as a black teacher, that, that tells me that I have to try and educate everyone about everything possible. Um, and so, you know, I wanted to find out, there's a question that made me wonder, and I, and I had to know, and there were two questions. The first was, you know, as a, as a black student, how do you see yourself? Does your blackness affect who you are, the way that you act, the way that you participate in school? Um, and then the second one was kind of similar to that. And, you know, my thought was, you know, why, why are you, is rather simple. Why are you acting up? Why is this what you're choosing to do? And I asked the question, um, is this what you think a black student is supposed to be? Like the one that the person that skips school, the person that's a class clown, the person that doesn't show up for classes that does all like, why are you doing that? Is it because you think that that is what a black student is supposed to be like in school? And his answer nearly made me cry because his answer was yes. Um, he said it was about, I don't remember the percentage, like 75, 25, 75%. Yes, that's what I think I'm supposed to do because that's what all of my friends who are black do. So that must be what a black student does. Um, and number two was just because he thought it was funny. Um, and so... I think that that thought process comes from a lot of what we see you know, as we look at um, blackness, as I, as I see things in pop culture, to be black, there's a number of things that we are, excuse me, number one is an entertainer in some way, so we have to succeed in athletics or music or theater, movies, somehow, we have to be, you know, Denzel Washington, we have to be Daniel Kaluuya, we, like, we have to be some type of entertainment. Um, and if we're not entertainment, then we're a thug or we are in the streets, we're selling drugs, we're doing all this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and those are kind of the two spheres that we're allowed to operate in. And I, there has to be more to my story than just tragedy. So when we, when we watch movies and I've said this, I don't remember, I feel like we talked about it on here with someone. Um, no, this must have been a student. No, this was another conversation I had with a student, with the white student, actually. Um, and I was like, when when my stories are told, when there are stories that are told about my history and my ancestors, we are athletes, we're musicians, we are selling drugs on the street. We're do This is who we are. And if we're not that, we're slaves. Every story that we're ever that's ever told about us, every movie that is ever made about us, is specific to one of those particular fields. And I said, "Where is our movie about black people just being people? Like, why do why do our stories have to live in tragedy? Why do our stories have to live in trauma? Why can't we just be? You know, why why where is the the black hangover where you got four guys who are just going on a trip who are doing stupid things together and just living life as people. And the, and the sad thing is, and correct me if, if I'm wrong or if you have a different opinion of this, but I feel like, you know, those movies are not, you know, movies are made so that people buy tickets, right. To entertain people. And unfortunately a movie where you have four black actors just doing random stuff, like in the hangover, those tickets aren't going to sell because those aren't the stories that people want to see of us. And and that's sad because then the only image that we ever see of ourselves in movies and TV are the negative ones. And that directly affects the way that we see ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, two things on mm-hmm. that. <clears throat> so one sad thing that I noticed, I obviously I've noticed a while ago but like you start to think about it more like especially now mm-hmm. and like one sad basically a trope where if it's a horror movie and there's a black person in it we die first Gene. they have to be the ones <laughs> to die first where if, if it was uh realistic realistically <laughs> i'm out 
I'm not, I'm not staying in the woods. They're they realistically they should be the longest <laughs> to survive. They should yeah, because we're not staying. We're not staying in there. What's that? You heard something downstairs? All right, I'm gonna catch y'all later. <laughs> you heard a kid? You think there's a killer in the woods? I heard you. I'm in my car. I'm gone. I'm not staying around. I'm not gonna go in. What I'm gonna do to go investigate? What, I, what I'm gonna do? <laughs> but um, although Tyler Perry has a, a certain kind of. Like that whole, uh, they live normal lives thing going on for kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you 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 spoke about Daniel Kaluuya, se- so it, it, it brought brought uh the thought of Jordan Jordan Peele, Peele. right? Mm-hmm. Jordan Peele and what he's been doing recently. Well, yeah, kind of recently. Um. I know they've been horror movies, but the thing that Daniel Kaluuya has been doing in those movies, they've all been one different. And any any movie that he's been also Black Panther, he was in was in uh, Get Out, and then after that, he's just started being like this really solid one actor and two. Like they gave him like genuine roles instead of just mm-hmm. giving him kind of like gangsters hype or anything like that. So I think Jordan Peele has done quite great service to what we need and we're looking for honestly yeah um number one Aubin, i think now you have you have in your questions you had you asked the student i think you have now just uh, you can understand now why didn't let you watch the black the black hood classes growing up all the all the hood classics but i just wanted to be black <laughs> <But anyway. laughs> now you understand and those questions you asked you understand my point now it takes me back to when i first started working at bloomsburg um, a fight broke out in class, black students. And the professor asked them, why you do, why'd you do this? And the student responded, don't you know this is who we are? This is how black people act. Mm. And she was dead serious. And it, that was, was a painful realization for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because unfortunately, that's the way that they were painted because they um, self-fulfilling prophecy themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so how we're received in many ways is because of what we give. I'll put it this way. Um, Denzel Washington has been a great actor forever. Um, I remember seeing his first, his first my, his, the first movie I ever saw him in versus now. Um, he's been a, a great movie actor a long time. Um, he got an Oscar for um, Training Day. He did not deserve that. That movie was awful. Um, but um, he played Malcolm X, which he did a, a phenomenal job. But it wasn't until he played the stereotypical crooked cop that he, he got the accolades. And I thought that was problematic um, and very telling of Hollywood. So I think that um, a couple of years ago, remember, remember there was all that hullabaloo about Oscar so black or Oscar so white? Mm-hmm. Um, that, was, that was from the idea that Oscar so white was based on the idea that black people were not being recognized. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next year, Oscar so black, they were they were being recognized for everything. But also, when you begin to think about it, and excuse my dog to listeners, she's in the cage. And she's being loud. Why are you got yeah. locked up in the cage? Why are you doing the pot? Anyway, keep going. Because, because Wendy's loose. Hmm. So, um, 39 minutes, but I heard saying we're barking that once. The whole time. That <laughs> once. So I, ha- I have this uh, a way of looking at this in, in, one, of, in my, one of my talks I give. Uh, you think about it the way that uh, white representation in, in fil- films about educational in- institutions. Being white in high school, for instance, um, you think about their schools. They go to these palatial campuses, 
There's there's never a teacher, never a parent. Um, the, the kids are getting ready to go to college um, or getting ready to graduate. Um, they're good. They're not just going to any school. They're going to the Fortune 500 schools. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just basically being students. They're just really trying to have fun, do what they got to do, and then graduate. You juxtapose that with with uh, black students in student in school. So when you think about it, the the films are basically set in the urban jungle. Mm-hmm. The school the schools themselves look like prisons. They they, they should be um, should be guards around. Um, the schools are run down, and. There's very very little opportunity for them. So the students are, what are they getting ready for? Trying to survive, right? But the the bulk of it is that you know these are based on true stories. Bulk of it is the students the students are really trying to pass a general skills class because they can't read. Mm-hmm. So the, nobody's getting ready to graduate. Nobody's getting ready to go to college. Mm-hmm. Um. And schools are the, the the parents, schools and the parents are at odds with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, the parents don't want anything for their children. The kids are just criminals. Um, and there's not not really anything happening for them. So again, they're not just like you, you said. They're not they're not getting a chance just to be black. Mm-hmm. Um, there really is nothing happening for them. And so when you juxtapose those two experiences with each other, clearly you, you want to be white. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think what I want what I started writing about what I started writing, when I started writing, I wanted to I wanted to give an alternative view. Mm-hmm. And I wanted people to think differently about the patterns that they're seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's always about um, kind of piggybacking on that. That just you, you notice, like, especially being an avid movie watcher, whenever there's there's a movie about any black student at all, it's always about them just trying to be overcoming everything. Yeah. Getting out of the hood. Right. It's always, I have to, I have to, you know, be better. Because we're struggling right now, we're poor, we're broke. I want to be successful, make my get, get my family out of here. It's always about that, and I, I completely, you know, like in, in a in a way, it's all of us because we all want to, you know, want to be successful. It's the way that they even present it, like picture it. It's like, oh, you're in a, and you're in this hood, you're in a, a really bad place. Watch where you're going. Super, super, be super, super careful because there's so much fighting out there. Uh, Guns, drugs, all this. Uh, you either get dragged into that or you don't. Mm-hmm. That's all that I see about that. I think I have yet to see. And I've seen a lot of movies, but there's also a lot of movies that I have not seen. But I have yet to see a movie where it's just like a regular place where a black student just goes to school. And a regular school, probably maybe popular, maybe even popular, just, just a kid. Just going for one of those high class colleges or any of the stuff like that but I well, and, and you're gonna see you're gonna see them but again you know when you've got and i think we've talked about this a little bit but when we do see movies like that that do show black success stories or even less the you know the popular the popular black athlete or school or, or student at the school there's a reason he's the popular athlete or the popular mm-hmm. black student is because he's an athlete and his success is He's going on to go play football at X Y Z University, and he's going to carry everybody out the hood through sports. And again, it's not just like you know, here's a kid with 4.0 GPA who's a regular guy who gets to go to you know whatever school and just gets to kind of make his own decisions. All of his decisions are shaped by the fact that you know he is a poor student and he wants to be better and he wants to. Um, 
overcome all the odds and all the things that have happened in his life to make him the better person that he aspires to be. Um, and so I think we, that, that is the version of the, the black student that we see if it's not just a, you know, whatever, excuse me. Um, and so I want to, I want to talk about, um, some positive representations that we've seen recently. And I, and I want to talk about a couple examples Dad, you've already mentioned one of them. Uh, we, we talked about black Panther and how, um, we, we finally got that representation in terms of superheroes. And I think that that is really cool, especially now that we're starting to see more, um, shows and movies that feature black people as superheroes, because again, like, you know, I've loved superheroes my entire life. Cheney loves superheroes. Um, but the majority of the superheroes that we know that are commonplace are white. Even though they're aliens and from different, for most of the part, they're aliens from different worlds, they are white showing, right? So then we get a movie like Black Panther. I mean, in the 80s, 80s, 90s, I don't know what it was. Um, we had Wesley Snipes and Blade, you know, they're redoing Blade with Mahershala Ali. I've never seen the original but I love Mahershala Ali, so I'm excited to see what he's going to do in that role. Um, we, we, um, when I was growing up, there was a show called Static Shock on TV. Um, but even like all of these stories and superhero stories, you know, we're getting some more representation where kids can see themselves as a superhero. Um, but even, you know, there are some times that we see these fictional characters um and they're represented and these storytellers are trying to make them black or trying to do a, uh, um, a new version of that movie. And they're, they're getting flack. What do you think about um, the positive representations that we're seeing in film? And what are your opinions on those remakes of movies that are being done? Not that they're being made black, but they are featuring black characters and traditionally non-black roles um, and kind of the outcry that is against that. I think the outcry is unnecessary and stupid. You know, who was that? Um, Chloe or Chloe Bailey? And when when they announced that she's going to be Holly, I think actually, I don't think it's Chloe. Um, so this whole notion that you know she wasn't she she's there's all this hullabaloo because she's going to be the next Little Mermaid, Mm -hmm. but she's a fictional character, and mermaids aren't real. Right. <laughs> so, so I think that's same thing happened when um um. Look, what's the little girl? The Kwasi um, Wallace. Willis, yeah. Black Annie. She was Annie. <laughs> there's a lot of people that were upset about that. I'm like, she's fictional. She there's no color. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really interesting to me that that people get mad when. A black actor is written into what what they believe should be a white character. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know that there are people that 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 had a, had a problem with Ru- the way Rube was presented in um, Hunger Games. Hunger Games, yeah. Um, when actually Rue was written as a black character. Mm. Um. And so it stood to reason that she was black in the film. So there's no reason for the, all the hullabaloo because she was just being true to how, what she was written. But, but I think in terms of, I think the representation, I think is a good thing to take back, take it back to superheroes again, like Miles Morales in, uh, in Amazing, The Amazing Spider-Man or the, the Spider-Verse. Um, representation is good. Um, so, I th- like I said, I thought Black Panther was a good, a good thing, and unfortunately we lost um, Chadwick Boseman a couple months later. Um, but, and Letitia Wright would make a, a great Black Panther. But I think you're right, Aubin. It gives an opportunity for little black kids across the country to see themselves in a positive role. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same, like it's saying you're talking about representation and re- representation of struggle. And so very few people want to talk about slavery. 
Mm-hmm. I am one of those people that says we should talk about slavery more and more. Um, and when I decided to write my my second novel, Send You the First, Erase the Life of the of Enslaved Soul, um, I really was fighting against the idea that Black people are can be more than slaves. Mm-hmm. Because unfortunately, in our history, that's real. Mm-hmm. Um, but not all of us were, were born as slaves. Not all of our families come from slavery. But that is a, a thing that unites us as Black people. And so it's a chance to, at least for me, to honor those who don't who, who went through struggle and who survived some of the most brutal treatment. Mm-hmm. And they should be respected and celebrated and not forgotten. So I so I say let's let's write more about the, the slaves, let's write more about the experience. What's your what's your what most people are balking against is the idea of representation in and the preponderance of the same image. Part of the reason why I have a problem with Tyler Perry is not that I mean, not that he is um, a bad director. He's I mean, he's actually quite good. And but it, my problem is he is seen as the voice of black people for a lot of people. And so he, but so if he's the voice of Black America, what is he saying from a black perspective? So I will, I want people to think about. The fact that just because Tyler Perry said it, showed it, does not mean that this is what it should be. So it's it's about seeing how often you see these images. So it's, so it's same thing with Tyler Perry. If you've seen one thing, you've seen you've seen all his things, all of his plays, and all all of his movies come from the same plot. And I think it's more than just entertainment. So I mm-hmm. say. I say one, I want I want us to have a different image. And I think I think you're right, Cheney, that um he does show a middle class middle class uh, uh, sensibility that's tied to a lower class identity. Hmm. So the idea that these are just normal people going about their everyday work or, or living, that's great. So, so that's, that's just one side. Mm-hmm. So part of my difficulty is you got to, when you got to let black people be human, no superpowers, just be who they are. Um, that's one thing that I had to write in, in, in writing my book. So I wrote about a slave experience and I've never been a slave. I, I don't know anyone anybody that has been lived as, as a slave. Sure hope not. But um, I wanted to be true to her experience. Mm-hmm. And in the same manner, but in the same manner, you know, in writing about a 14-year-old girl who, who was kidnapped into slavery, um, I had to remember that she was just, just a little girl. She was a little girl mm-hmm. um, that, that was forced into slavery. Not... She was not born a slave. She was forced into slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was still a little girl. So I tried to give her a sense of humanity. Um, that I want to uh, write about her hopes and dreams. Mm-hmm. And I want to write about her, what her life um, could have been. So a lot of it is giving respect to where we come from. So it's the same way as, as a cook. You know this too, Alvin. Um, uh, all good soup, soups come from a great stock. Wait, there's no such thing as a good soup. Continue. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's an honest belief. <laughs> I hate soup. I hate it. There's like there's three that I will tolerate, but keep going. But, but all all good good soups come from a great stock. So when I think about my family's background, and I don't and I don't know if we if we were if we were slaves or not. But I do know this. It was that struggle that that brought us to where we are today. Mm-hmm. I don't want to I don't want to look the slavery in the in as a gift as a gift horse in the mouth. 
but I want I want people to understand that if it, slavery isn't your experience, that's 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 something not to be ashamed of. It's something to be proud of. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that we should want to run from or um, hide from. It's got to recognize it's the people that survived slavery survived some of the most the most brutal, inhumane treatment. Mm-hmm. And they came out with still breathing. So it's a reason to celebrate, not not run from it. Agreed. I, I get that. Just more inclusion of some stories that are not that. Would be right. great. That's all I'm saying. All right. Well, uh, any final thoughts or any final things that you want to share? I got one thing I want to do with you real quick before the show is over. Um, but I just want to see if you have any final thoughts on the topic. Tell real stories. All filmmakers and all writers tell real stories with real people with real problems that, that is, are authentic. Um, I was thinking about stereotypes today. Um, and think about stereotypes and how to get away from stereotypes is when you recognize humanity. Mm-hmm. Not all black people are criminals. Not all black people are poor. Not all black people are whatever. So give them a sense of autonomy, give them a sense of purpose, give them real dreams and visions for themselves. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about like some um, think about um Harper Lee when she wrote and she wrote um To Kill a Mockingbird. Do you recall often like what language they use when to to describe Tom? Uh I mean kind of. They didn't talk about his race, right? No, I don't think so. Well, <laughs> other than the fact that they called him the N-word 85 times. <laughs> so now think about think about if <laughs> now I'm thinking as, as a as a writer, Harper Lee did not have any experience with being black. Right. As a white woman, more than likely right. she doesn't know what it's like to be a black man, right? Right. So so how does she write an authentic telling of what what Tom must have gone through. Right. So now the idea is not to focus on his race, but to, as you think about him, Tom was a black man and his blackness was, was personal for the for the theme of the show or the book. Um but he had to be more he had to be more than just black. Mm-hmm. Yeah so, they made him a person. Right. So, so as you're writing, Cheney, keep in mind your characters that they need to be more than just window dressing. They have to have they have to have a, a reason to be there. Yeah, that's it. All right. Thank you so much. All right. What I want to do real quick, uh, this this might this might stretch you past where you're comfortable, but I want you, Mister Doctor Reverend uh, Dad. Uh, to tell us, give us your Mount Rushmore of black actors and actresses. So that's four. Your top four could be your favorites, could be who you think are the best, but give us your Mount Rushmore of black actors and actresses in movies. Denzel Washington, Viola Davis, um, Forrest Whitaker, and Regina King. All right, Chen, you didn't on that one. You don't know Regina King? <laughs> you said. Oh, Regina King, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nick, give me three Regina King movies. Um, uh, Marvel game. <laughs> the ham sandwich. Oh, look, 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 look. I'm not gonna look up the movies. I'm gonna look up what she looks like, and I know she. Here, I'll show you what she looks okay, like. Okay, okay, show me what she looks because I I can't get the picture of her, but I I. Well, the problem Wait, is you got Regina, you you got Regina King. No, that's Regina Hall. I was ah. just about to say, you got to know the difference between Regina King and yeah, Regina Hall. Re- Regina so King. This is Regina King. Ah, see, I know her. Uh, what movie she been in? Ah. Hey, Easy Money. <laughs> Miss Congeniality? Well, she was in that, wasn't she? Mm-hmm. She was in a motherfucking... You're so stupid. I'm so sick of you. <laughs> All right, I'm that's a, a great. I'm gonna look up the movies. I'm gonna be like, ah, I knew. The harder they fall. Did you watch that on Netflix? The country yeah. western black movie it was a good movie, actually. She Just was literally. 
Riley and 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 uh and Boondocks. She was just about everything. I forgot. Uh, she yeah. was in Friday. She was in Watchmen. One Night in Miami. I can't believe I forgot what movie she been in. She was director of my night my, when I had Miami. She was in Boys in the Hood, which mm-hmm. I've never seen. But uh, all right, it's a great top four. It's a great Mount Rushmore. Thank you so much, Dad, for pulling up to the podcast tonight. Thank you for all your words of wisdom to all aspiring authors. And for sharing with us your intellect in the field of, of movies and diversity, I think that there are a lot of um, really important talk points that you brought up tonight. And so I appreciate your wealth of knowledge and, and that you shared that with us and shared your time with us. This has been another episode of the Afro Latinos podcast. This has been your co-host, Alvin. And your co-host is currently Ian Chandler. <laughs> Find uh, more information about his books and more information about him as a person at brianc.johnson.net. You can find us on all digital media, digital podcast platforms, and follow our socials. Like, comment, subscribe, share all of those wonderful things to all of our social media accounts. This has been another episode of the Afro Latinos podcast. Good night, everybody. Good night.